One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. 80 years ago, millions of American soldiers started arriving in Britain. It was, as everyone called it at the time, a friendly invasion. Brits, Americans, Canadians and other nationalities preparing for the liberation of Europe. Among those first Americans to arrive was Easy Company of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne. They would become the most famous military unit of the Second World War. The Band of Brothers, so-called because they were featured in a book written by a story of Stephen Ambrose and then, obviously, the TV drama series. Well, the Band of Brothers have left their mark in more than just celluloid. They actually have left things behind. They dropped stuff. They threw stuff away. And now a team of volunteers, including archaeologists and military veterans, spent May of this year digging under the beautiful village of Oldbourne in Wiltshire to where Easy Company did their training. It's actually where Easy Company spent more time than anywhere else in their history as a unit during the Second World War. Team history hit went down to the dig. We joined the dig. We camped. It was unbelievably cold at night. We snuggled together for warmth. And during the day, we joined the team as they searched for traces of these extraordinary individuals. It was very nice. The people of Oldbourne were very friendly, particularly grateful to the family that invited us for dinner in their house. And then the gentleman who turned up and lent us a World War II Willis Jeep that he happened to just be driving past in. So on the whole, very hospitable, as it was for those lovely Americans back there in 1942. The archaeologists, the team, they found some good stuff. It's exciting, so stay tuned. In the meantime, though, enjoy this first episode. Our Band of Brothers pod. Atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. God save the king. No black-white unity till there is first some black unity. Never to go to war with one another again. And liftoff, and the shuttle has cleared the tower. Beautiful country lanes of Wiltshire. Quiet, peaceful. You'd never guess that 80 years ago, this was the site of an invasion of Britain, but not by an enemy force, by Britain's ally, the Americans. On the 26th of January, 1942, as war raged across the world, the first of millions of US soldiers started arriving on British shores. Amongst them, perhaps the most famous military unit of World War II, the men that would become known as the Band of Brothers. Now a group of volunteers is digging beneath an idyllic English village to discover the traces those men left behind. 
In this two-part series, we'll follow their search. It was an M-Rand rifle clip. Oh my goodness! Just found another one. Look at that. What they find will reveal remarkable personal stories. That's interesting. So um, what do you think that's doing in a hut full of men? And connect us to one man with a truly extraordinary tale. 1942, after the outrage of Pearl Harbor and Hitler's declaration of war against the USA, America joined the Allies. Which meant Britain was about to get a shock. The streets of towns and villages across the country were filled with the stomp of marching feet, the skies above with the roar of aircraft, the fields and plains with the rumble of tanks and armour. The Americans were here. Britain wasn't just a staging post. The US forces came here to finish off their military training and prepare for the invasion of France. That meant creating new facilities where the GIs could live, train and relax. Over two million American servicemen passed through Britain during the Second World War, the so-called friendly invasion. Their contribution to victory was absolutely essential. But they also had a huge impact on the communities on which they were billeted. This is the beautiful, quiet little village of Oldbourne in Wiltshire, typical of the kinds of places where Americans would be sent from Cornwall right up to Scotland. It was near an airfield and there's useful terrain nearby on which training could take place. This village has a particular association with the 101st Airborne, a division of paratroopers known as the Screaming Eagles, and among them was Easy Company, the famous Band of Brothers. The 101st Airborne was founded in 1918 towards the end of the First World War, but was dissolved the very same month. It was then resurrected in 1921, but as organised reserves. It wasn't until 1942 that the Screaming Eagles were set on their course, when Major General William C. Lee read out General Order No. 5. The 101st Airborne Division has no history, but it has a rendezvous with destiny. The plan was to use infantry carried in aircraft as part of the invasion force that would retake mainland Europe. It was a bold idea. Soldiers jumping out of planes with parachutes attached to their back wasn't an entirely new idea. There have been some limited examples of it before the Second World War. But the first major use of paratroopers came with the German army's blitzkrieg in Europe in 1940 when they achieved mixed results. The Allies now decided to adopt that way of fighting. But that would require new thinking about training, tactics and equipment. They also need to find a lot of very brave young men. Many of those volunteers ended up in the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment. That included Easy Company, whose story is told in the famous series. They were sent to Georgia for their initial training, where they were given the nickname the Currahees after the nearby mountain they had to climb repeatedly. Then, in 1943, they came to Britain to continue their training. Many of them ended up in Oldbourne. Now, almost 80 years on, volunteers, including military veterans and archaeologists, have come to see if any traces of those soldiers remain. In charge of the dig is archaeologist Richard Osgood. Richard! Good to see you, Dan. Good to see you again, man. Welcome to Oldbourne. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not a place that I associate with the Second World War. It doesn't have that vibe, does it? I know. I mean, you're standing in a, on a football pitch, but uh, in 1943 and 4, this was a shanty town. It was absolutely crammed with wriggly tin shelters and buildings connected to some of the most famous soldiers of the Second World War, which is, of course, Easy Company. For the famous history book and in the TV series. Exactly. So these are Band of Brothers based in this little village in Wiltshire. Uh, the longest time they were together at any one point was here in this village. And... Um, on this football pitch. And are we able to know precisely where they would have been within this village? Well, we're really fortunate because as it's an American base, there are a lot of American air photographs that are taken during the time to look at where they were. And we do have a collection cool. of some of these. You'll notice these ones, yeah. there are a series of what they called Quonset huts. Right. Um, and that's where we think Easy Company was. So this field would have been what, sort of almost a parade square in the middle and then huts all around the it, edge. It's exactly that. You've wow. got a parade ground, it's a perimeter forming pretty much a quadrangle. Um, you can imagine them doing practice all the way around this field, but this is where they lived. This is where Easy Company spent more time together as a unit than any other place in the whole of the Second World War. So from here, I think there's a lot of forging of that unit. And so you've got these photos. How then, as an archeologist, do you decide, right, where are we gonna dig? Because it's a big old field. You can't just take the whole topsoil off. No, that's a good point as well. It's a big field and there's not a single hut as we look yeah. at it. So they are no longer here. Luckily, we've got some techniques that we can bring to bear. We've tried geophysical survey on it, a technique called magnetometry, and you look at the magnetic responses below the ground. We wanted to see if that would work or whether the local story that it had all been bulldozed was correct and there would be nothing left. Well, our geophysical survey ah. came up with some results. Now, we've zoomed in a little bit to that end of the field. You'll notice the huts and the area we thought was Easy Company. You can see that the colour on here, that's a superimposition of where we got traces of something on the geophysics and it Which tallies, corresponds exactly to the aerial it, it's, it's It's an absolute one-to-one. -one. So we felt fairly confident that the geophysics confirmed there was something where those huts were, but the question is what? The only way to find out is to dig. They're concentrating in the area identified by the aerial photographs and the geophysical survey. If they're right, this marked-out rectangle was the location of one of Easy Company's huts. But this is no ordinary archaeological dig. Many of the volunteers are former military veterans brought together with archaeologists by Operation Nightingale. Joe, one thing I said to myself when I left the army is no, I would we'll never dig, dig a hole again. <laughs> People we've got on this programme called Operation Nightingale they're all people that have done it for real themselves, so they can empathise with those men of Easy Company from the 1940s because they've done it in the 21st century. They've suffered those privations of being in huts, of being cold around a stove and then being deployed into operational theatres. So they bring a certain um, pathos, I think, in some ways, to, to the whole experience, but they're also very good physically. Here he goes. Yeah. <laughs> we have. Come here, Dan. I've got a bad ankle. Oh! <laughs> can you imagine trying to get a two of <laughs> With so many fit and eager hands, progress is quick. And it's not long before the first evidence that they're on the right spot. It's our paper there. And the first concrete pier. There we are. Richard? Where's Richard gone? Oh, he's way off. He's missing the action. Wait, Base with rebar. And how close was that to where we pegged it for the geophysics? I think the geophysics was pointing to that. So he was so probably about, about an inch or two. Uh, he's about five centimetres out. We'll wind him up. 
That's amazing, isn't it? Brilliant. So that is the first sign of the hut. Yep. And if we take off this one. And that one. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, there. So that oh, ties yeah. the building into it, doesn't it? But so we're getting that, that edge there. And Super. it feels like the edge is out there. Well, that gives us a really nice depth to work to. More but, tar um, paper again. So, yeah, so yeah, we'll be really careful no, with that solid. about the waterproofing of the building. So just work to that level and along. So you're happy with that as well, Chris, that so that's the sort of level we're, we're looking at. So it is, it's a really shallow turf straight onto the building. Nice. See, that's a good solid piece of honest structure, isn't it? Richard is confident that this is the concrete foundation of what's called a Nissan hut. These huts were a standard design that had been used since the First World War. The invention of engineer Major Peter Nissen. The tar paper they've uncovered was part of a waterproof layer to stop damp coming up through the wooden floor. Such a hut would have had space for around 20 men to sleep and relax in, whilst meals would have been taken elsewhere. These prefabricated structures had most likely been installed here before the Americans had even arrived. Whilst one team is digging for the Easy Company huts, another team are busy investigating a different part of the field. So Easy Company's over here, are they different phonetic alphabets? So whereas we'd be Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, they are Abel, Baker, Easy Company, Fox Company, and Dog Company. Those are the, the three letters we're looking at. Now Easy Company, we think, from a sketch map we've seen all over here, there's certainly a photograph of, of some of the famous characters that are based in the huts over in that direction. But there were huts here. You can see it on the air photographs, and that reckons that it's probably Dog Company, and Fox Company. There were huts here that we can see. We can pick them up on the geophysics. And so we're trying a different technique here. We're looking at a metal detecting survey over the top of those areas to see if we can trace huts, features within them, finds within them. And then if there are areas where there isn't any metal reading, which is also important because it's probably the hedgerow or where the tents were. Okay, I know it's uh, very early days, but are you getting any readings? Uh, yeah, we're getting plenty of readings. Oh, good. So the, the signals are there uh, before I start going in. I just want to discriminate what it is first. But um, yeah, they're there. It's giving me the depth, solid tones. So there's definitely signals in there at the minute. So could be big iron, could be trash, but it could be anything. So Okay, well, that's, that's really promising. It's just a different, different tool to use to see what we can find out about the camp. And it's good that we're measuring it all in and we'll eventually work out precisely what's going on. Yeah. Great. Nice one. You listen to Dan Snow's history. We're looking for the Band of Brothers. More coming up. Over on the Warfare podcast by History Hit, we bring you brand new military histories from around the world. Each week, twice a week, we release new episodes with world-leading historians, expert policymakers, and the veterans who served. From the greatest tanks of the Second World War, and so what are you actually trying to get out of your tank? You're trying to get manoeuvrability and you're trying to get a really big gun. Your Tiger and your Panther are there to dominate the battlefield, primarily on the Eastern Front and in the North Africa and all that sort of stuff. But by the time they're actually coming in in decent numbers, that moment has already passed. Through to new histories that help us understand current conflicts. Any invader, any attacker, any adversary will exploit gaps within society. It was true then, it's true today. But the Finns signaled that they were united, and I think that's what the Ukrainians should signal today too. Subscribe to Warfare from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts, and join us on the front lines of military history. Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. 
If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores, and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. As Richard and the team continue the investigation of Oldbourne Football Field, I've come to have a look round the beautiful village centre. Many of the buildings around this green were taken over by the officers. It is so remarkable to think about these young men who were drawn from all over America, from the prairies of the Midwest to the shores of the Pacific, arriving in bucolic villages like this, with buildings older than the United States of America itself. Many of them did say it was dreamlike or compared it to arriving on a movie set. And many of them would have found themselves, like me, drawn to the local pub. Setting the scene for an interesting social experiment when the Brits met the Yanks. What's the worst that could happen? Well, authorities judged quite a lot. So they invested in a big education programme, producing, among other things, this rather wonderful film. And this game won't be won by any single player. It'll be won by a team. A team called the United Nations. A tough little guy from China, Big Joe Russia, John Britton, and a guy called Yank. So let's take a look at the men who carry the ball with us. Let's start with the one that's toughest to understand. The one we know just enough about to confuse us. John Britton. Here's where he lives. A little island no larger than the state of Idaho. Half a million people live in Idaho. Ninety-six times that many live in Britain. And in the sardine can called Britain, they learn to get on with their neighbors. They have to. He's too damn close. That's why they have so little crime in Britain. 
Believe it or not, even in wartime, the British cop does not carry a gun, nor does the professional crook. And one of the first things the Americans told their men about British life was, of course, the pub. Come on. Oh, wait. Before we go in, let me tell you a little about an English pub. It's not like a saloon. It's more like a club. A club for men and women who haven't a great deal of money and who don't drink for the sake of drinking, but for the company. Now, these pubs are open for a couple of hours in the middle of the day and then again in the early evening. And men and women, after their day's work, and they work long and hard hours, come in for a bitter a mile. Oh, that's beer to you. And incidentally, the beer isn't cold in England, no. They don't like it cold, and they haven't any ice, see? So if you like beer, you better like it warm. What's that? Difference between bitter and mild? I don't know. I don't know. One's bitter and one's mild. You better find out for yourself. Anyway, these same people have been coming into this same pub for many years, and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers came in before them. This particular pub, for instance, was founded about the time that our country was founded. So, well, come on, take a look. There you are, you see? That'll give you a general idea. To back up the film, every serviceman was issued with a little additional reading. This wonderful booklet. The lessons in here have very much stood the test of time. Let's have a look. Introduction. You are going to Great Britain as part of an Allied offensive to meet Hitler and beat him on his own ground. For the time being, you will be Britain's guest. The purpose of this guide is to start getting you acquainted with the British, their country, and their ways. America and Britain are allies. Hitler knows they're both powerful countries, tough and resourceful. He knows that they, with the other United Nations, mean his crushing defeat in the end. So it's only common sense to understand that the first and major duty Hitler has given his propaganda chiefs is to separate Britain and America and spread distrust between them. If he can do that, his chance of winning might return. But the fellow that calls the signals on the Axis team knows his only chance of winning is to split our team up. So his team plays a game at which they've had a lot of practice, a game called Divide and Conquer. It is manifestly ridiculous for the warmonger Roosevelt to tell the American people that they have anything in common with the British. On the contrary, they are different in every respect. The whole book is full of observations and advice to young Americans to getting along in Britain. This is one of my favourite pages. The people, their customs and manners. The first important thing to remember is that the British are like the Americans in many ways, but not in all ways. You'll quickly discover differences that seem confusing and even wrong, like driving on the left of the road and having money based on an impossible accounting system and drinking warm beer. But once you get used to things like that, you'll realise that they belong to England just as baseball and jazz and Coca-Cola belong to us. I'll drink to that. They have a little number called cricket. And anyone who ever drank coffee over there knows why there'll always be in England. Is your coffee all right, sir? 
to us, this might feel like a bit of a joke, some very funny observations. But actually, if you take yourself back and put yourself in their shoes, this is a very important little document. If you're a young man, thousands of miles away from home in a strange land, this could be the difference between having a good time and being lamped in a pub. And also, it meant that the war was no longer something that was distant, going on on foreign shores. They were now in amongst it, and they could expect to go into battle soon. The men were here to train for war. And back at the football field, they're hoping to find hard evidence of all that military activity. Do you remember that conversation we had earlier yeah. about the first find I had in 20, whenever it was, was an M-Rund rifle clip. Oh my goodness. Just found another one. Look at that. If we wanted to find something palpably American in this field, you you've just done it than that. on the first morning. Look at that. So that links us to the 101st Airborne in 1943 and four, this one find, yeah. day one, brilliant. It, it seems nothing at all, but any war aficionado will tell you, you watch any war film and um, you see an American soldier using an M1 Garand and he gets to his last round and you get that famous ping as the clip comes out the rifle, that's that. Look at that, isn't that great? All we need to do now that's is- good feeling. Just find the eight rounds to go in it now. <laughs> well done. <laughs> The M1 Garand rifle was one of the most important weapons in World War II, with over five million made. General Patton called it the greatest battle implement ever devised. It was used by every branch of the US military, but not the British, so we can be confident this eight-round clip came from an American. In 1943, these hills would have echoed the sound of Garand rifle fire, as the men of Easy Company and other units went through brutal training to prepare them for what was to come. To find out what the training would have been like, I've come to explore one of the wartime practice areas with former Marine, Dickie Bennett. Very obvious valley. Is this a good place? Is this a good place to come and practice your weapon skills? This is a brilliant place because you can see the natural ground, it, it, yeah. it lends itself to, to shooting really. You've got all this safety behind you, so you've got the backdrop here which stops any stray rounds from hitting anything important. Yeah, you don't want to shoot people by accident miles away. Well, right? and that's the danger. That's what's so complicated about using ranges today. It's so regimented and laid out because exactly that, you don't want your bullets to ricochet off and, and hit somebody by accident. They're firing their weapons here. Are they running up and down a few of these hills for physical fitness? How are they training? Without a doubt, they'd have been using the landscape. I mean, we're in a really hilly place here, so this would have been good for squad runs, troop runs, all that sort of thing. So they're getting a physical exercise going around. And then when you look at the landscape here, they're not just bimbling around, they're running up to the firing points, they're, they're running to the next one. When they stop firing and it's time to change the weapons, they're running down and changing their butts, um, putting the patches on to make the targets ready for the next person. And also, you look around the general area, we've got another range complex just at the back over there, and that's more advanced than this one. This is a very basic range for just practicing the low-level tactics of shooting, where to shoot, how to shoot, and then maybe coordinating within your team about giving a fire control. The other range is more about how you'd attack something. So you can use all these different weapon systems, you can bring all this basic knowledge you've learned here, you can then go and advance it on the other range. So it shows how this whole landscape is building the individual ready for that jump, ready into um, going to France and, and start fighting the Germans. And they're also jumping out of planes because they're doing cracks and jumps. And I think they were doing that just over there in the airfield, yeah. So everything around, they've got everything they need on the doorstep. So the training they're doing right here 
in this landscape. It set them up so well, they perform very well after D-Day. That's exactly it. It's the little things that make a good soldier. So it's having command and control. It's being able to talk to the person next to you effectively. It's to be able to spot a target and to be able to bring everybody else onto that target quickly. It's about understanding if your, your oppos run out of bullets or his magazine's empty, it's about upping your rate of fire to enable him to change his magazine safely and carry on. So it's all these little things they're learning here which leads to the success of having out there. Without these personal skills and drills, you're not effective. So you're a former Marine. So do you find that you're bringing quite a lot when you're talking about this archaeology with the experts? You're able to say, hang on, they would never have done this, they would have done that. It must be bringing your own experience to it. Yeah. Being in the military gives me a different perspective of what the guys have got. So they're professional archaeologists. They understand the foundations. My job is the tactics and, and the weapon training. So I can look at the landscape and say, do you know what, that would be a brilliant place to put a machine gun. That would be a brilliant place to fire your bazookas from. This is a great area to put your target. It's understanding the landscape and knowing how to utilise it best for what you've got, really. And you also find that there's a therapeutic effect to doing all this work. If you've been made unwell because of bombs and guns and war, why immerse yourself in it as a form of therapy? That's really interesting, that. Um, <laughs> and it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Um, the reason why our participants get the benefit from this is because they understand it. They can take that knowledge of being in the military and make it useful again. And they can understand where the bombs are, where these other bits and bobs are. And they can read the landscape so they feel like they're contributing again. And also it's a social aspect of being on the dig. And there's all these different factors what really play into it. The bottom line is it just makes them feel useful. And I think that's what's key here. The training the GIs went through here was gruelling. But it was nothing compared to what was to come, as the Man of Easy Company would fight in some of the most pivotal battles of the Second World War. In the next episode, we'll discover more about Easy Company's date with destiny. So this could be a D-Day veteran D-Day. that was just tossed out. It's D-Day. Wow! And the team finds something that links us directly to one of the band of brothers. The AK is a dog tag. It's a dog tag. What are you talking about? What have we got? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds 
of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.